0: Well welcome, it's so good that you guys are here. We're looking at raising up leaders. I assume by the fact that you're here that you're looking to raise up leaders, hands up if that's the case. Well done, you're in the right place. We've got John and Ellie Mumford, which is uh, quite the pool, so I'm very blessed that you're here, quite frankly. Um, and you know what, I'm joined by some wonderful colleagues, Richard Gathard, our exec pastor at the St. Albans Vineyard, and Heather Ryan, who's our Compassion and Justice pastor. So uh, as you might have seen in the blurb, we're going to have a time of Q&A later. Um So a little bit about me then. Uh, Why on earth have I been asked to speak on this subject? Uh, It's a good question. So as I may have alluded to earlier, I am the senior pastor of the Vineyard Church at St. Albans. Uh, For the past, this is my fourth year. Um, But, uh, you know, prior to that, I've been 20 years in the business world. And, um, you know, my, my kind of corporate journey started in the late 90s, working for tech companies. And very quickly, I was thrown into these, this really fast-paced, growing environment where I was exposed to being part of these amazing teams that were building amazing dot-com uh, products. And, you know, within that time, I very quickly saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of leaders Uh, You know, there were some fantastic leaders and some really bad leaders. We are recording this, so... Uh, in the interest of minimizing any litigation, I'm not going to give names. Um, but they were good and they were bad. Um, and I quickly just, you know, grew through the ranks. And by the time I was 30, uh, when at this point I'd moved uh, to Australia working for Yahoo, and uh, I was an executive there. Had 70 people in my team. They were all younger than me. I was the youngest executive there. And I had my own car parking space in in, in the uh, in the city, in the PA, and all that stuff. And it was in that fast-paced growth environment that I was really exposed to some wonderful leadership and some really great principles. And, you know, working for really large multinationals like that who take their people seriously, I benefited from some amazing investment through training around how you raise up leaders. And then, you know, in parallel to my corporate life you know being in church leadership in various guises and various ways really being exposed some amazing church leaders as well and so what I'm going to aim to do in the short time that we have together is really draw on some of those insights in terms of how we can be practical in raising up leaders at this time now let's get the disclaimers away out the way Aka manage expectations, so it's really nice and low. This is not designed to be a deep dive on every aspect of raising up leaders. The reality is, we just don't have time for that. And the other truth is, you guys, are, many of you are seasoned leaders already. Uh, and so, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing to you, some might be new, but some of it might be stuff you go, you know what? Actually, I used to used to know about that. Or I used to think like that. And so, my prayer is, this really just sparks some stuff for you. Um, And so what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to focus, first of all, on what makes a great leader. What are the things that you should be looking out for as you identify leaders who are going to raise leaders? And then once I've done that, the second part, if you like, is how do we create an environment where we can attract and foster those kind of leaders? And then once we've done that, we're going to have 20 minutes or so of Q&A with Richard and Heather and kind of answer your questions in terms of how we can practically outwork that. Now, if that sounds like a lot, it is a lot. Um, But, hey, who's up for stretching themselves? And we want to reward failure if we're pushing ourselves. So I'm modeling that for all of us. So there you go. Thank you. So let's start (laughs) with the first question. What makes a good leader? Um, As I said to you, I've seen some fantastic leaders and some really bad leaders and I want to share with you six telltale signs of what it is to be a great leader. Now listen, some of these actually were touched on earlier uh, this morning. What a morning talking about leadership, Steve Nicholson, a legend. Uh, And then we had uh, those three wonderful uh, people interviewed by Andy talking about leadership. So some of this stuff, actually, they've done my job for me, and I'm just going to reiterate some of these things. So here's the first one, number one. Ah, Before we do that, let's look at John Maxwell's quote. Who knows John Maxwell? Yeah, he's a great Christian leader, writes extensively on the subject of leadership. He said, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. I rather like that summary, actually. That's a really good definition of what a leader is. They're not a manager. A manager is very different than a leader. A manager manages existing processes and systems and operations. A leader is someone that is looking to the future and, and taking people with them on that. So let's look at these six traits that really embody that statement. The first one is that they are readers of people and situations. They're readers of people and situations. It is that thing called intuition, that gut feeling. That, you know, that's a God-given thing. We off, there's a book, uh, I think, written by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, Yeah, and it's about that power of gut instinct. And you see, leaders recognize that that gut instinct is something they can rely on. And, you know, the best leaders I've seen are those that can really assess a person and a situation and how they can match someone's giftings up with the situation and growth opportunities. And so I'm always looking for someone that can read other people that understands other people, can understand body language, understand what's the nuances there, what's, what's said behind the words. And so have a think about it. If there's someone around you, you know, that is really good at reading people and situations. I had an old boss, and it was like he was always doing reorgs all the time. And he would sit down with his executive team, of which I was one of them, and get a whiteboard up and say, right, guys. And he would circle up. This is the opportunity right here. I think so and so, if we move them right from this project into that project, they're really going to succeed. And he really operated out that place, a real strong awareness of reading people and their giftings and reading the situations. The second one, then, very similar, but great leaders, in my opinion, and having seen this, is that they are readers of themselves. Or what do we want to call it? Emotional intelligence. This is so important. Successful leaders are those that have an awareness of what they're saying and how they're saying it, how they're being perceived, um, how they need to demonstrate empathy. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. Self-awareness is about understanding different audiences, you see. Successful leaders are able to amend the way they communicate and interact with people based on how they're looking and how they're communicating. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm reading myself and I'm reading you guys. If you want to know what I think about you, ask me later. No, I'm just joking. But I'm trying to be aware that I needed to inject a little bit of humor there because some of you were staring at me a bit blankly. (laughs) But you see, that's what great leaders do. They're aware of how what they say and what they do impacts other people. And you know, great leaders have an awareness that they have blind spots. Shock, horror, I think research shows we have about 12. That many. I have probably about 30. Um, but it's about understanding that we do have blind spots and being open enough to understand what they may be. So, third one. if you This is a bit of a criteria, a bit of an assessment for you guys in terms of people around you. They see the future but learn from the past. Leaders, great leaders seem to be the ones that live in the future all the time. You might get a bit frustrated with them sometimes. It's like, well, can we just finish off this first before we talk about changing the future? (laughs) But you see, that's wired into a leader. A leader is there to lead into the future. They're not content. It's like, it's almost like you want to say, can you guys just be happy with what we have? And so... For me, I'm always looking out for someone that is looking to stretch the boundaries, looking to live in the future. And they typically live in the future because they're trying to solve a current problem. You see, that's where they learn from the past. Was it Winston Churchill that said, um, if you don't learn from history, you're condemned to repeat it? You see, great leaders understand the issues of the day where we've come from, and that informs, you see, what the future looks like. And great leaders are those that are problem-solving the present into the future. But they always learn from the past. And so in terms of your, who's a great leader around me, your antenna should be looking out for people that are trying to solve problems and seemingly living in the future. That's no bad thing. That's a good thing. Okay, that's the first three. Should we move on? Number four. Mavericks and rule breakers. I've got some chuckles over there from my team. I love mavericks and rule breakers. Now, I don't mean a spirit of rebellion, quite frankly. I'm not suggesting that, of course. But what, we, what we're what we saying here is, in my experience, great leaders are those that are not happy with how things are done now. And it's very similar to, this, to the previous point. But the point is they're always looking to rewrite the rules. They're... They're independently minded, that's what a maverick is, and they have a bias towards action. They have a bias towards action. Uh, You know, I know some great managers who who are not strong leaders because they're not rule breakers. And listen, I don't mean you go and break every single rule in the book, but you always question, why are we doing it like this? Couldn't we do it in this or that way? You know, um, there's a great definition of an entrepreneur, which is this, um, a propensity to always learn and a bias towards action. That's a really good sum up of an entrepreneur. And there are many crossovers with leaders. But you're looking for people around you who are always questioning the status quo. My, my, I'm always worried when someone says to me, we don't normally do it like that, Mark. Mark. We never do it like that. No, we can't do it like that. If someone is saying that, I'm like, oh, that's an alarm bell for me. If you want to be surrounding yourselves with leaders who are going to change the world, then you need to be looking for those mavericks that have got it in them. Um, Next one. Humble and teachable. This is so important. Humility. People that are willing to say, you know what, I don't know it all. I don't know it all, and I'm open to being changed. I'm open to change. The best leaders are those that are open to be taught and actually want to ask questions. I know, I know people in my experience uh, throughout the years, those best leaders that have really gone up the ladder, if you like, and really grown quickly were those that were constantly asking questions and open to change. Those that never, never move forward were the ones that just lived in the present and they didn't want to understand that another way could be done or they didn't want someone speaking into their life. And so this is a really important thing. Surround yourself with leaders that are teachable. And then the last one, already have a following. If you want to f- surround yourselves with leaders, look around who's following who. Now, I think it's worth saying at this point, you're not looking for the clique, That's not what I mean. Not a clique that are married together because they love to talk about bad things and complaining and grumbling. That's not the kind of followers that we're talking about. We're talking about a group of people that will say, you know what, so-and-so, that was a really good idea, wasn't it? Or, you know, conversations will come up and there seems to be a name that always bubbles to the surface. Those are the kind of people that are a trait of a leader when they already have an influence around them when they come with a sphere of influence. And it just seems that they attract people. Those are the traits that you want to be looking for, someone that's already got a following. So I've dived into that really quickly, because I don't want to spend the majority of time on this list. I want to talk about how we attract these kind of people. But to ensure that we're all on the same page, my advice to you is and some of you have been, is make those notes on those six things, readers of people and situations, who has intuition, who can suss out a person and a situation, who is a reader of themselves, who has self-awareness, who is able to demonstrate strong emotional intelligence? Number three, who sees the future? is always talking about solving the problems in the future. Number four, who's a maverick and a rule breaker around you? It, they might be fuss- frustrating. They typically are. But there's gold in there that you want to mine. Uh, far, humble and teachable. Who is the person that is putting out the chairs when no one sees it? Sees that. You know? And then lastly, already have a following. Those are my six telltale signs of a great leader. Now, our job, you see, is to raise these kind of people up. Our job is to create an environment where we attract these leaders and we grow these leaders because you can repel these leaders. You can create a culture where these guys will be turned off and they'll go elsewhere. And that's the reality, and I've seen that. I've seen some bad leaders who had great people around them and the people just moved on because there wasn't an environment where they could grow. And that leads me on to where I want to spend some time then, is how do we attract and raise up leaders? Now, one of the biggest objections I hear when we talk about raising up leaders around you is this, I don't have any good leaders around me. That is typically the number one objection to this. I'm sorry, there's no one around me. I would challenge that by saying the number one reason could be, and is possibly so, it lies with you. Because in attracting great leaders, it really does start with you. It starts with a mindset. It starts with a way in which you think about raising leaders, because that then outworks into action and behavior and how you define a culture. You know, you are in charge of setting the culture around you wherever you are, but that culture is an outworking of where your mindset is, okay? And so what I want to do is focus on what kind of mindset do you need in order to raise up and attract those kind of leaders around you. Number one, I've got three to share with you. Do yourself out of a job. Or as we like to use in Vineyard vernacular, give it all away. And as I said, uh, the guys this morning already covered a lot of this. Um, Steve Nicholson talked about this, didn't he? Andy Smith from Belfast Vineyard in that video Said, so, you know, he, he was told, if you want to achieve all that God's given you, those big dreams, you're going to have to give it all away and get others to do that. And that is absolutely true. Um, I love this quote by D.L. Moody, that wonderful, uh, what, 19th century evangelists and revivalists said this, I'd rather get 10 men to do the job than to do the job of 10 men. You see, the problem with, with us leaders who are looking to raise up leaders is we are typically very good at what we do. And it is more easy to go, you know what, I'll just do it myself. You know, I'll put my hand up. I'm a culprit here. You have to be intentional on trying to give it away. You have to be intentional on finding people that you can give those 10 jobs or whatever it may be away. You know, I had a great boss once. He was an Italian-Brazilian. Talk about flamboyant. And he seemed to just attract the best leaders around him. Those that have gone on to found multi-million dollar businesses, lead billion dollar companies. um, And there was something about him. It wasn't just that he was charismatic. Of course, he was. And a lot of great leaders are charismatic. You don't have to be. But he's had this knack of giving everything away. Now, to the outsider, it might look like he was quite lazy. Because he would seem to be farming off a lot of stuff. But actually, what he was doing was creating an environment where leaders around him could succeed and grow. And he was so good at giving it all away. And so the thing you need to think about is, what is potentially holding me back by giving it all away? And let me clarify, I'm not talking about making yourself redundant. There is a distinction between your job and your position. I'm a senior pastor. I'm not going to give that Authority and role away to somebody else, but I am going to give the job away of it, the elements of that. And, you know, I fell into this do yourself out of a job very early on in my career from, for a different motive. You know, I mentioned to you that I was in the tech sector and it was always about growth. And it's always about how can I give, increase my capacity or uh, give myself capacity so that I can elevate myself and do new things. And so part of my mindset at the time of doing myself out of a job was just so that I could have more capacity to do the bigger projects that were coming along the line. And so I would, with the teams around me that I started building, give it away. And what I found actually was not just that it helped increase my capacity for the more that God had for me, but I was attracting people around me who wanted to work on my projects because they had an opportunity to do some really big things. And so there is another benefit here, not just about raising up leaders and and enabling them to walk in the God-given gifts they've got, but it means that in your role, it enables you to have more capacity and bandwidth for the more that God has for you. Listen, you are not going to be able to achieve the God-given dreams that God has given you unless you surround yourselves with great leaders who reproduce themselves. That is the reality of it. So, I, in my experience, there are three reasons why leaders find it difficult to do themselves out of a job. Three reasons. Number one, insecurity. Insecurity. Hey, I've been insecure. I am insecure in various levels. But I recognize that it's not about me My job is to raise up amazing people around me of which I have the benefit of some of these guys in the room and give them the platform to do amazing things. But, you know, it takes a secure leader to do that. Secure leaders attract great leaders. Insecure leaders repel leaders. That is the truth of it. I worked with a guy, a boss, a long time ago, and he had a real insecurity, and he was always playing that political game of trying to be seen to be the guy that was making all the best decisions, doing all the best work. Now, he had some amazing leaders around him that reported to him, and actually some of them have gone on to found some amazing businesses and do some amazing things in the tech sector. But you see, he was so controlling that they were looking for an opportunity to get out there. And so what I want to say is is that those insecure leaders will repel leaders. You might attract them initially because of your charisma, but they won't stay around long unless you give everything away. So, insecurity. Let's look at Jesus, because I think this is an amazing example of a secure leader. John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. How many of us, hand on heart, are like comfortable with that as a leader? Just pause, think about it. You mean they're going to preach better than me? You mean they're going to lead teams better than me? Ooh, I better hold on a bit and not give it away quite yet. And so really, when you do yourself out of a job, it challenges you in terms of your security and who you are in Christ Jesus. And I think if this is just the perfect scripture just to be challenged around where you are at with how secure you are in the position that God's placed you in. I said there were three reasons. The second one is this fear. Well, hold on a minute. If I give it all away, I'm going to be left with nothing. I mean, people are going to look at me and say, What is he doing with himself? You know, as I mentioned to you, my my background is such that it was always drilled into me that there is always an opportunity for growth. And, you know, we've been battered through COVID. I'm sure we're all exhausted leading. Hands up, just me. And so the, 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 the notion of growth is like quite wearing. It's like, really? I'm just trying to get through today. Thank you very much. But I think if we recognize we've been created in God's image to multiply, to steward, then actually I want to do myself out of what I'm currently doing because I want to position myself for the more that God has for me. But you see, the biggest thing is the enemy comes in and says, wow, well, you know, if you give that away, you're left with nothing. That's a lie of the enemy. Because the, the enemy is trying to hold you back from walking in the more that God has for you. And so I would just challenge you, is there maybe fear operating, which is why you don't want to let go and give it away? I said there were three reasons. Number three, pride. Simple as that. Well, they can't do it as well as me. If you want a job well done... Do it yourself. And you know, pride is a big thing, especially for leaders that are successful. But challenge yourself. Is there maybe pride operating in there? Is there maybe pride operating in that place, which is why I don't want to do myself out of a job? So there was three reasons there. Insecure, fearful, and pride. These are, in my experience, the three key reasons why leaders are unable to give it all away or do themselves out of a job. Okay, let's look at the the second thing in terms of your mindset, in terms of how you need to be thinking through raising up leaders. The second one is this, dream big dreams. If you want to attract great leaders around you who reproduce leaders, you need to be dreaming big dreams. Why? Because here's the truth of it. You attract who you are, not what you want. Think about that actually in another way. If you start moaning and complaining, you seem to, is it true, you com- attract other people that moan and complain? You know? If you're a kind of guy, that's always po- guy or girl that's always positive and looking for opportunity, you will attract those kind of people because they want to be around you. Now, this is not about picking another half Greek, half Armenian, five foot, eh, nine, no, seven, whatever. It's about attracting other great leaders, Okay? And you see, the way you need to be doing that is dreaming big dreams. Listen, it's a good thing to dream big dreams. Oftentimes, and I'm, I don't think it's the case actually in the vineyard, so to speak, but other in Christendom, there is this notion, oh, be humble. Don't dream big dreams. Just be satisfied with what God has given you. But, you know, God has caused us to dream big dreams. You know, I love this quote, and uh, thank you for Heather for um, sending this to me. Andrew van der Bijoule. I pronounced that incorrectly, but you get the sense. He's a Dutch missionary. He's 93, he's still alive. And he said this, if your vision doesn't scare you, then both your vision and your God are too small. Let that seep in. Ask yourself the question, how big is your vision? Is it the kind of vision that if God doesn't show up, you'd fall flat on your face? If if you are set on raising up amazing leaders and attracting them, then you need to be dreaming big dreams and casting those visions. That's your job. You attract who you are. You don't attract what you want. What about Ephesians 3.20? For me, this is an invitation to dream big dreams. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is a work within us. Now, let's just break this out for a moment. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. So in my head, that's an invitation to dream big, isn't it? God said, okay, let's see how big you can dream. Because, hey, I'm a bigger God. And, you know, my in my mind, I'm like, well, if I, if I imagine here and God gives me that, maybe I should start imagining here so God gives me this. You know, we are God's handiwork created in his image to do good works so that he's prepared for us before time began, Ephesians 3.20. You know, and I want to give you guys permission to dream big, to dream big. And for us, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with COVID, we've gone through a, a period of time where we've just been like, waking up and just turning up and being faithful. But I want to just say, we're headed into a season. We are in that season already where God is calling us to dream those big dreams. And as I said, Andy Smith talked about this earlier, didn't he, in that video. So dream big dreams. That should be your mindset if you're set on raising up leaders around you who are going to be world changers. Number three, be the best you can be. This is a commitment to two things. The first one is lifelong learning. In my experience, the best leaders who attract leaders are those that are committed to growing and learning their trade. And they're always learning. They're always hungry for knowledge. They're always hungry to stretch themselves. And this is an important thing. If you want to attract those kind of people around you, then you guys have got to be thinking in that way as well. But the second piece is character. And Steve talked about this earlier. I believe that John and Ellie are talking about this right now in in another session. But, you know, kindness will always trump ability. Character is always more important than gifting. You know, be the best means be all that God has created you to be and to bear fruit. You know, the Lord reminded me earlier of Psalm 1. It talks about us being rooted by, the ri- by his river, his, his water, so that we can bear fruit in all seasons. You know, all seasons, being a leader is not easy. You will go, some, go through some real dry patches, some real heat. But we need to be the best we can be in all of those situations. This is an interesting one. I might say something a little bit controversial here, if that's all right with you guys. Don't stone me. There's no stones in here, are there? All oh, good. Just heavy Bibles and some chairs. Oh, okay, steady. (laughs) Here's the thing, right? You can be a good leader. No, I'll rephrase that. You can be a leader of others if you're not kind. You will get results, but it will never be long-term. I remember this particular leader, and he got results, but he was really unkind, and he wasn't encouraging, he wasn't affirming, and he used the stick method. The problem was is that there was zero loyalty in the team towards him. Zero loyalty and zero chemistry. And the problem was, when things didn't go well, they all just left and they went elsewhere. You know, you want leaders around you that are going to stick with you and stick through the program, so to speak. And so we need to be the best we can be. And we need to be Jesus to people, right? I mean, Jesus modeled it, didn't he? Servant leadership, when he got on his knees... And he he washed his disciples' feet. That's what it means to be a leader. It means to serve others, to get on your knees and to be the best you can be. So for, those are three things I want to share with you then. Because as I said, raising up leaders around you. Yes, we're going to look at culture in a moment. But unless your mindset is right, you will never attract and retain and grow great leaders around you. Okay? So those are the three things. So... What therefore, as we move on to the next piece, what therefore is a culture that is a result of your mindset? Who knows the importance of culture? You know, it's like the soil that grows things. You need to have the right nutrients. Otherwise, the the plants, the shrubs, the trees, whatever it might be, won't grow properly. And so your job as leaders is to create that culture where great leaders are going to grow and grow strong. And so I'm going to share with you four elements of culture that will be a result of those three areas that I showed you of your mindset. So if you can get your mindset right, these next four things will flow. And in my experience, listen, there are many more than four. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to give you what I believe to be four of the most critical, cultural elements to raise up leaders. Let's have a look at them. I'm going to skip that. Vision and goal setting, not task setting. Vision and goal setting, not task setting. If you want to attract managers and operational and I don't say this to belittle that. I'm not suggesting that at all. But if you want leaders who are those mavericks and rule breakers, if you want to attract those people that are going to come up with solving a problem in the future, then rather than say and prescribe the specific tasks that you want them to do, cast your own vision that they can grab onto and, and paint a picture of what success looks like. I mean, essentially, that's what vision is, isn't it? A vision is, this is what success looks like. Leaders love vision. You know, they will come to you first because who you are. This is what research shows. But they'll stick around because of the vision you cast. And I said that this is an outworking, of course, of your mindset. If you're not dreaming big dreams and able to convey the vision that God's given you, then you won't be able to do this effectively. Effectively. What you will do, you see, in my experiences, you will default to task setting if you're not dreaming big dreams. But if we're focused here on raising up leaders, then I would encourage you to cast vision and goals, not tasks. Now, within our church, we have a leaders meeting, I want to say every term, quarterly. And what we do is we share and cast vision. This is what we believe the Lord's doing. And essentially, what we want to do is say, who's coming along for the ride? We want people to... We want people to run in the giftings that God's given them. And they will deliver on that vision in different ways than you ever imagined. Different ways. The problem with task setting, you see, is you are restricting who is going to be around you by prescribing what it looks like and therefore who the people are. But you see, what we want to be doing is encouraging people to bring their own gifts and their own way in which they fulfill a vision. And what happens when you do this is you're given permission for people to cast their own vision as well. So as a staff team, you know, we have about 20 people in our staff. And every year we go through a business plan and exercise as We plan our budget for the next year. And one of the first things I did was I said to, the, to, to, to my leaders, so those that report directly into me, I said, listen, I want you to go away with your team and I want you to come up with these four things. First of all, what is your vision for your ministry area? What does success look like for you? What's the end game? Number two, strategically, how are you going to deliver on that? What are those four pillars, those four areas, or five, or whatever it might be, that you need to achieve in order to make that vision uh, a reality? Number three, what is the resulting tactical plan from that strategy? So what are the activities that make that strategy a reality? And lastly, what are the resources that you need in order to deliver on the tactical plan which then enables you to deliver on the strategy, which then ladders up to delivering that vision. And really what I'm modeling there is saying, listen, start with vision and work with your team on what that looks like. Because in the process of having that conversations, you're allowing leaders to come up and bring what they have on what the resulting strategy and tactical plan looks like. And in that process, what we're doing is we're intentionally raising up leaders in some ways would be quicker for me just to say here's the task can we go do this but actually that might give us a short term little boost but that will never grow us long term nor will that enable us to uh, fulfill the dream the big dreams that god has given us so maybe think about it in that way as you as you have conversations with your leaders let's let's look at an example of volunteers let's think about car parking it could be easy to say listen car parking leader What I want you to do is, this is our foam hand that we use, just so people know we're here. Put the flag up and then do this, that and the other. When you've done that, fill in this form and that. Now, what have you done there? You've set a task. That person's going to walk away. They may be a fantastic leader that could revolutionize the way you do car parking. But you haven't given them that opportunity because you've zoomed in very specifically on task setting, not vision and goal setting. And the other reason I would say goal setting is so important is that research will show you that people want to know what success looks like, and they want to be measured against that. We often look at accountability as a a bad thing, but it's a fantastic thing. Because deep down, people want to know they're successful at what they do. And so when you raise up leaders, you need to be setting goals with them in terms of what success looks like for them. And that's a really positive thing. That gives you a culture which circles back and actually filters down as well. Uh, let's look at number two. This is huge. This is so important. You want to be fostering a culture that encourages risks and rewards failures. Now, this goes contrary to the prevailing culture of our society, doesn't it? If you're a failure, you're seen as a loser. You know. I know I keep referring to my experience in the tech sector, but I think it's worthwhile because one of the reasons that the Silicon Valley ecosystem has been so successful is because they look at failure in a very different way. In fact, failure is a medal in, in that world. And in fact, an investor won't invest in you. And, you know, I founded companies and we've raised millions of dollars. You know, I've founded two companies now. And I know that if you don't have a failure behind you, they won't take you seriously. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? because they, we, they recognize the importance of learning from your mistakes. And so we want to encourage risk-taking. I say to my team, listen, let's go, let's go have some failures because the reality is if you're not failing, you're not pushing. Now, I don't want failure because we're sloppy. <laughs> I don't want that as an excuse because you haven't worked hard. But if we're trying to push the boundaries, then failure is going to come. And I think we need to encourage this and reward this. I've got a quote here from John Maxwell again. He says this, the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception of and response to failure. So let me ask you the question, how can you encourage risk taking and failure? Language like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Now, you can mitigate against risks, and, you know, I'm I'm recalling conversations Heather and I have had recently around our care centre ministry and how we grow that, and Heather's an amazing leader because she encourages her team to really push the boundaries, and we're trialling things, so you can mitigate risk by saying, let's do a soft launch on this new ministry. Let's not go without guns blazing, but let's just focus on a trial period of time, let's have a, a criteria by which we can assess it, so it's not that you're being stupid about it, but... We're having those active conversations around how do we keep pushing forward and encouraging risk-taking and reward failure. Um, One more quote here from G.V. Wigram, what a great name, uh, another 19th century theologian and pastor. He said this, When people fail, we are inclined to find fault with them. But if you look more closely, you will find that God had some particular truth for them to learn. So I love this, actually, because as pastors, as kingdom builders, you know, God is more interested in us than the stuff we do, right? We're the project, as Steve Nicholson says. And when you're raising great leaders, you're not raising great leaders to do more stuff. You're raising great people. And we need to, be, we need to understand and how we can pastor through, manage through people's failures in this paradigm and with this lens. And we should be saying, what do you think God's saying in this? You know, why did that failure come up? You know, we had this weird phrase in business world called a post-mortem. Of course, it's not a business phrase. It comes from the medical world. But, you know, whenever we had a project, it's like, right, we're going to have a meeting to do a post-mortem. It's like, oh, that sounds painful. But no, it's a very, very healthy thing. What went wrong? What can we learn from it? So that's the second one in terms of your culture. You are in charge of this, by the way. You set the culture of your organization. Number three, empower through effective (laughs) delegation. I've used the word effective intentionally, because in my experience, most people do delegation poorly. You see, delegation is not getting rid of your to-do list. I mean, that happens, of course, but that's not the idea of delegation. It's not about saying, I'm really busy, so how can I just farm off all of my work? I mean, that's outsourcing, that has its place. But in the context of raising up great leaders, you need to be delegating effectively to those leaders. What does that mean? Well, let's look at Jesus as a fantastic model. He's about to send out the 72, and he says this. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, what is this a delegation of? Authority. And so think about delegations. You know what? You've got my authority. You know, you, you can make the call on this. It's your decision. What do you feel about that? You make the call. That is really what we're talking about with delegation. It's delegating authority and responsibility. It doesn't mean that you abdicate to yourself. Ultimately, you you are accountable. But it's saying, how can I delegate projects-based stuff and with that give people the power to make those decisions? That's how you're going to raise up leaders. If you just delegate tasks, then you're not going to raise up leaders. So I want to just challenge you and say, how are you delegating at the moment? And how can you do that effectively? And we can explore some of these in a moment because we're going to transition shortly uh, in the next few minutes into some Q&A. Last one. And I've kind of touched on this, to be fair, throughout it. But coach versus manage an outcome. And this is actually related a little bit to the, point, the first point, which is vision and goal setting, not task setting. There's a bit of an overlap here. You know, there is a very, I remember doing a a training program called Manager as Coach. And it was all around saying, listen, if you want to be an effective manager and raise up leaders, then you need to be coaching your people, not managing your people. It might sound like semantics, but there is a distinction and there is a difference. You see, management is about being quite directional in terms of how you engineer an outcome. But coaching is about put in that on the person you're coaching and say, how do you feel about this? What do you think we can do differently? What would you do in this situation? It's about coaching out of your leaders the solutions that you might already know are there. But don't just go, and you know, we all have a tendency, I think it's this, that, and the other. You, You might be right, you might be wrong. But irrespective of either one of those, coach the leader that you are managing, that you're leading, to come up with their own solutions. The other thing I would say as well, in my experience, is that when you're raising up leaders, you need to recognize that leaders are different, their contexts are different, the situations are different, and the projects are different. And so you need to adapt your management style based on that. Now, you can read tons of books on management style, and actually at the end of this presentation, I've got some resources that might be helpful. So I'm not going to go into the myriad of ways in which you can manage, but let me just touch on maybe two or three. The first one is prescriptive management style. And that has its place. You see a vision. You know how you want to get something done. You may not have time. You might have budget constraints. It might be whatever it might be. Or you might not have enough volunteers. So guys, you know what? For this season, we're going to have to just do it like this. I mean, we can learn from this, and maybe at the end of that period, let's discuss how that went and how we can amend it. But we need to be quite prescriptive on how we do that. That has its place. Some leaders need that sometimes more than others, and some situations require that more than others. Then you've got directional leadership, or directive, which is, we need to head in that direction. How do you think we can do that? How do you think we can do that? That's going back to that coaching style. So if you want to raise up leaders around you, My question to you is, are you adapting your management style how you lead based on the type of leader it is, based on the type of context it is, and based on the type of situation it is? All right, so there are the four Key areas that, in my experience, are distilled down to these areas in terms of the type of culture that you need to be setting in your wherever your context is to raise up leaders. Vision and goal setting, not task setting. Encourage risks and reward failure. Empower through effective delegation. And coach versus manage an outcome. The g- greatest leaders I've worked with and all the research I've done, the books I've read, the training I've been on we'll look at these things as the key ingredients. So before we look into Q&A on the last two minutes I've got, so what next? I've given you a complete brain dump, haven't I, of stuff. A lot to process, I get it. But what, what can you do practically next steps? Here's my, here's my guidance. Number one, give yourself a mindset audit and result in shift. I shared with you those three areas of mindsets, didn't I? Spend some time saying, Lord, how do I feel really about giving giving everything away. Like, what does that mean for me? Are there any hurts or pains or insecurities that touches on that you want to deal with? Invite the Holy Spirit into this process and say, Lord, would you just reveal anything that's not wholesome and healthy in the way I'm leading? You know, have I got a propensity to be a control freak? What is that, Lord? Is that a fear of losing out? Is that a pride thing? So I would do an audit Number two, assess culture and plan for change. You know, those four things can be for you a framework to assess how your culture is where you are at. Do you tick the boxes in all those? Now, listen, they're not going to necessarily have equal weighting. What you will find is that based on the different projects around you, the opportunities, the um, the, uh, the difficulties that you might face, those four things may wait in different areas depending on the things that you're working with. But they should all have those elements there. And so I would invite you and encourage you to assess your culture. And that might mean big changes. It might mean you get, you know what, leaders? We're going to have a leaders' meeting. We're going to talk about what we're here to do. And be intentional on setting that culture. And number three, commit your ways unto the Lord, of course. You know, it says in Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. We work hard, we're intentional, and we give it to God and say, Lord, would you breathe on this? Would you take this? Would you do that which you can only do, Lord? I love what Steve Nicholson said earlier, be, be ready to be disturbed. I think Olu mentioned that earlier in the interview as well, didn't he? You know, we need to be comfortable in the discomfort that comes with leadership. We need to be okay with being in that place where our plans get ripped up every other day and we start again. Or we go, Actually, we don't start again. What happens is God moves us in a different direction. So what I want to say is make your plans, but hold them lightly and commit them to God. And say, Lord, I feel like stirred that I need to make a change. I just lay these in front of you, Lord, and I pray that you would help me. Okay. So with that, we have, how long have we got? 15 minutes. Potentially. Sorry, I'm five minutes over. I'd invite Richard and Heather. Come up, guys. Let's give them a hand. So I've covered a lot of stuff here. Um, So we're going to open up to any questions you might have on any of the content that I've asked. Who wants to be brave enough to kick off and ask these guys? Thank you. There's a mic over here. Can you come up to the front and just maybe grab the mic and tell us your name and where you're from and all that jazz? Uh, James from Aberdeen. I want to know how you reward the failure. Like practically in a church context, in a leadership team, do you applaud? Do you give them presents? Uh, You know, give them another shot. Um, What does that look like? Can I kick off with that one, guys, and then I'll hand over to you? you. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say as well, disclaimer: I don't do all these fantastically, so it's a good one. I was really challenged putting this together. I'm like, ooh, not sure I do that well. Well, One of the things that we put we've done in our staff team context is we have an opportunity for recognition. So we encourage people within our team to recognize someone that's done something great. And within that context, I'd hope that people feel comfortable enough to say, "You know what we tried something, It didn't work, but you know what these are the learnings that we got from it. And I feel like that's a safe space that we can do that. And you know what? I think that within our leadership co- leaders meeting, I think that's a really good question. I think we could do more of that. you know we could do more of that rewarding that risk. Um, that failure that people experience. But equally, it's not just about rewarding it. Um, It's also about how you work through it with the person because we're here to grow those leaders. So we don't want to just say, well done, that's amazing, but sorry, I'm not going to give you anything else to do. We want to be saying, what happened in that place? What can we do better next time? What have we learned from that? So that's how I'd answer that one.
1: Have you got an answer? Mm -hmm. Oh, go for it.
2: Yeah. And I think, but just about normalizing it as well and speaking about it and not just rewarding the things that have gone really well and sort of promoting that and speaking about those and just kind of speaking about the times oh well, we tried this, it went horribly wrong. This is what we learned from it. This is how we moved on. And that's really empowering for people and it normalizes it. It makes it okay that you haven't got to have it all together to be a leader and that failure isn't. A bad word, it's actually really healthy and it's really positive, and it's, it's okay to be a failure. I'm a failure and I'm proud of it, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Um, and it comes to humility as well, it just it models that. So I think it's just a really healthy thing to model.
1: I do love that actually, that answer about normalizing it. I think that makes a massive difference. You're definitely not a failure, but we've fared along the way. I, I remember the, um, uh, the first time I preached uh, many, many years ago. And uh, by all, all accounts, that was a failure. Um, it was a terrible talk. I, was, I had no idea what I was talking about. I had long hair, and that kept on getting in my eyes. It was just a failure from beginning to end. And, um, and I thought, that's it, that my one chance of preaching. It wasn't a massive desire, but I knew that was the end of it. And I think the biggest, I wouldn't say reward, but the biggest um, thing that came from that was the person going, let's give you another shot. You know, it's it's not say your failures define you once and for all, that's OK to learn in the process. And equally, actually what may be a failure to you or them because of their expectations being so high mm-hmm. might not be a failure to everyone else. And I think about the first time I ran an alpha course, and um, I'd been to a couple, and there was always a good faithful six to eight people at the course. And when I did it, I was like, I'm going to do so much better. We're going to get 100 people at the course. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to put on the best food, this, and the other. And we got three, including my mum. I mean, by my standards, that was a massive failure. I was ready to throw in it and give up for the rest of my life. But, uh, but not everyone thought that was a failure, that we had three people. We did a course. We got to the end of it. And it was only two, three years later that we ended up having 60, 70 people on the course, every single course. And again, it was really that aspect of going, my expectation of what success is might be different from other people's. And I think it's really important if we're raising up leaders that we manage their expectation. And so we had this event on Friday um, called Worship Garden. And uh, it was another event, post-lockdown and worship and people giving together. And the way they were describing it is, I mean, this may absolutely excite some of you, but for me, it's it's creative and that's not my comfort zone. But uh, they were like, we're going to have sung worship, we're going to have dancing worship, we're going to have flags, we're going to have prof- Prophetic art. We're gonna have this uh, again. Some of you are going, yes, that's the dream. And I was like, okay, look, this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna have so much fun. But let's let's manage expectations. Let's um, you know, it doesn't matter if 20 or 200 people come in. What you're doing is you're coming together for uh, to worship. Now, this is their first time context. Okay, so if they had done this before, you want to build this up. So we managed expectations. There was a great excitement by it. Um, And long story short, we ended up having well over 100 people turn up at this event. So because we had talked about expectations for them and this event and everything else, because they were ready to hire out the whole building, and I thought 20 people in the whole building is not going to work. But I really see breath on this. Let's go for it. But actually, what turned out to be 100 people in a smaller space made it feel like an even greater success. So managing expectation is really important.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Nice one. You got it. I really could
1: have just told us when you were.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good answer. Thank you for that one.
1: <laughs> Good summary. <laughs>
0: Thanks for that. Any other questions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well done. Good job. Yes, great. Thank you. <laughs> it's Martin from Northampton. So, um my qu- you didn't come up with on your list of six things to look for in a leader. One of the things was not availability. I just wonder whether that was a deliberately not on there, because um, and how do you think sometimes we balance availability versus the six things you've got there? Because sometimes it can be in conflict. Yeah. Thank you for that. To be honest with you, I've assumed in that list that they are available and they're willing to turn up, because for me that's like if you can't get past that first one, don't bother with the rest. So that was the assumption through that. To be honest with you, leaders are great people that just turn up and are faithful and have the availability um so that was my mindset that should that should be a kind of given in some ways but do you guys want to open up on that answer a little bit more
2: <laughs> i don't know i think because my experience so i came into leadership within the vineyard um i was wor- i was working through i think it was like three jobs at the time and doing a degree and god kind of said I want you to give up two days a week (laughs) and go and serve the church for free. Everyone thought I was mental, including myself, if I'm honest. And uh, everything in me was like, I'm not available, I'm not available. Um, And it wasn't for some of the guys at the time sort of saying, we can see leadership on you. I don't know i think i think if you've got that gut that mark was talking about that gut feelings normally the holy spirit and if the holy Spirit's leading you to someone that you think there's leadership on them and they're saying well i'm not really available just hold it lightly and take it to god because their plans might change and he has a way of disrupting our availability <laughs> so uh, so i wouldn't always look at it from our practical eyes of well they're not available i'm not going to look at them because God can interrupt. And um, yeah, so go go with the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, yeah, is what I'd say.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Um, it's, it's really interesting, because you can never really get a straightforward answer as to why people are not available. Um, I'm busy, i got family. I, I, we've all got those excuses to some degree. And I, I do think. Um, I can think of a couple of examples where you, you can overcome that availability. For some people, uh, they go, that's a lovely idea, but you're just talking about it at the moment. I don't know if that's really going to happen. I'm not willing to give up my time, energy, money, resources until I can see something happening. So sometimes as leaders, and a lot of this isn't just about raising up leaders. It's about how we lead. Sometimes it's going to be, okay, I, I really need 50 people to do this, but only three people are willing. But we've got to start because people aren't gonna join us until they see some you know, traction taking place. So some of that is gonna be, if God's in this, he's gonna provide what we need. And if my step of faith in that is that God's gonna provide, then I need to start moving so that he can bring them. He's not gonna just give you 50 people at the beginning and go ready to go. Sometimes it's gonna be you stepping out. It's like, I'm praying for rain, I'm gonna turn up with an umbrella, that kind of faith level, as opposed to just hope for the best. Um, and the other aspect is, uh, I, I think about um, one church in America where, so America is slightly different context. They had a lot of people who were in the medical profession who genuinely had hardly any time. And any time they did have, they were spending that with a family or doing whatever it is. And so there, it was hard pressed all the time. And so the challenge to them was saying, well, what can you take with what you are doing and make that available for kingdom? So it's not necessarily they're going to sign up to your idea but actually maybe you can get them to or get people to think actually what am i doing can i give this to so the challenge was well we need um a medical professional so our care center can actually have some doctors or dentists come in and do the work slightly different setting obviously a bit in america and so rather than us saying will you give up your time to do that it was actually can you donate your hours to do that for free? Pro rata, legal, or whatever it is. So it's, it's not always about our vision. It's not always getting people who are not available and getting them to buy into what we're doing. It's looking for opportunities to give people opportunities to bless and be part of the kingdom in what God's calling them to do as well.
0: Great answers, guys. And and just just picking up, actually, on Heather, something you said about calling out the leaders and leaders people, like the leadership in, on the person. I think that's really important, actually. I didn't talk about that. But, you know, it's okay to say, you know what, I see leadership on you. Call out what you see. You know, I know some fantastic leaders who were operating as leaders, didn't even know they were. Uh, and so our job is to not only identify them, but call it out of them as well on that gifting. So that's a really good point. Any other questions? Yeah. Nice. Hey, buddy. Nice. You're going to have to use the mic here because we're recording it. So, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go on. Go grab the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Name say? and where you're
3: from. Uh, Jamie from London, North London, in you your church. Um, the saying we've had for ages, or use, that uh, people make time for what they want to make time for. Yeah, right. So the vision casting for us is really important because we want people to be excited so they can get on board with what we want to do. Right. The difficult thing now is in the age of social media, I can see that people from church <laughs> have lots of time <laughs> that yeah, they right. don't want to give to. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where the whole thing about casting vision so important people need to know what's expected from them if they serve but also where we're going as a church so they can choose whether to be on board or not and if they're not on board that's okay as well but um i think that's just really important but i also Jamie, great t- comment not saying people's nose for them is the other thing they're the two things that beth poor beth she's heard this from me for years but <laughs> don't say people's nose for them because often we don't ask someone or we don't ask someone to lead or to step into because you think oh they won't be interested yeah but that's us saying no for them right so
0: Jamie, great points. Let me just wheel out this chair for you for the next one. That's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you for that. Really great. I love that. Don't say someone's no. Yes. Thank you. Grab the mic.
1: Um, my name is Charles. I uh, go to Birmingham Vineyard in the West Midlands. Um, I think it's sometimes good to spot potential leaders for the future. Like in my cell group, home group, uh, there are two people that are good. Have good, strong leadership potential. One has a pastor call in his life, and but he's finishing off his PhD, and others finishing off his masters. But I've identified who they were, who they are to my leaders, so that any future training that they may have it's available. You tell others, but it's not the right time for them. But it's good to always to potentially spot, these have the ability, but it's just not the right time.
0: That's a really great point. Do you guys want to add to that? That's a really good point.
1: Do you? I always love listening to you, so do you want to go first? OK. Uh, what do I have to say? Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, that's a great point. Um, when You first, you know how the Holy Spirit speaks. Like, someone's talking, they're really giving a really good point, and your brain's completely elsewhere. I do apologize. That's where I went just a second. But I do love that point. I do want to echo what you were saying. Is that sometimes it is, I don't want to use that cliche as it's a season. But do you know what's really important about what you said was the fact that they're still connected. They're still in your group. You're still meeting with them. So they, they haven't, you haven't just identified them. You've included them. And so when they have that time and opportunity to get involved or when they see something they're willing to give time up, you're not having to go and find them and get them involved. You're already connecting with them. You see that possibility. And whether that comes to fruition in your church or a completely different setting, your investments in the kingdom, Um, this is completely side. But when you were talking, for some reason, I was thinking about this one situation where um, we had this young man, a Dutch guy in the church, he was just... I mean, he was on fire for God, he had energy, but he was working all the hours he possibly could in a hotel. And, um, and I remember uh, the men's ministry, they called wind of this guy. They were like, he's, he's the man who's going to model being a man to everyone else. And uh, I remember having the uh, conversation with them, and they were right in all of those things. He was visionary, he was excited, he gathered people together. Um, and they absolutely dreamed for him, and it was really exciting. But the one thing that they lacked, and part of the reason I think he never really got involved is because they loved what he could be, but didn't know who he was. Mm. And I think for me, that's absolutely crucial. It's like, we've got to envision for people. We've got to dream for people. That's probably one of my biggest things about being a a dreamer and raising up leaders. If you haven't got a vision for them, um, then you're wasting their time, and you're just not going to use them for like, practical things. But if you have a vision for them, it's so important. And part of that vision is is not just what they're going to do, but it's who they're going to be and who they're going to become through that process. And you only get that, going back to yourself, because you're spending time with them. And so, yes, they may be in a season where they may not be involved at this moment, and they may not be able to give more time. But you're seeing and creating them in the character that God has called them to be. So that when they start doing things, you don't have to re-go over, rehash all the character work because actually they're growing in that. Mm. And that's a work that can always and forever take place.
0: I love that. And just on that similar vein, I mean, one of the things that you do a really great job of with the Connect Group leaders, our Connect Group leaders, is say if you, I've identified a potential Connect Group leader in your Connect Group, bring them along to the leaders' meeting. Let them be exposed to that environment and to those conversations. So to your point about timing, absolutely. You know, we're asking our Connect Group leaders to think about where are those future leaders, and absolutely, that is all of your jobs. Who are those future leaders? Who is going to? Re- What's your succession plan? In, quite frankly who is gonna be the next person and you know I think that's a really important point a really good point
2: I knew I'd get everyone tangled up with this thing um, so I was just thinking I love I love I seem to raise up leaders that don't think they're leaders I always and I love them because it really simplifies it because you I never kind of go into this thinking right? Like, you're going to and say to them you're going to be a leader and you're going to do this it's actually i always say to my team like whose hand are you holding so i look at um our volunteer base and i'm like okay who do i see leadership in okay god who are you leading me to and they're ones that are going to go i'm not a leader i can't do this yet and it's like okay well just come along with me walk beside me fellowship meet for a coffee you get to hit get to know them get to hear their heart what are their visions and their dreams okay what can they do now Can you can you just lead the prayers for me today yeah sure i can do that yeah. and it's just exposing them to those leadership opportunities and then when you start having the conversation of well actually you're already leading that you know our our best example is our current warehouse manager who's now a paid member of staff who used to say to me i am not a leader like i am not a, i just don't want to go there and yet just held it, you know, walked beside him, showed him what to do, and sort of said, oh, I don't suppose you could just head up, just just let those volunteers know what, what we're kind of doing today, and oh, that would really help, you know. And, and it's just breaking it down and simplifying it, and before you know it, you can then turn around say to saying people, well, you're already leading. All these people are now coming to you and asking you what we're doing today, and then they kind of go, oh... Oh, that's not that hard, and and I, so just simplifying it and not making it into this big thing of one day I'm going to be this leader. I think I was leading teams, and then it was someone that said oh, we should come to this leadership conference. And I thought, well, I'm not a leader. Well, why am I going to go to that? Because someone had made it so simple and easy for me to lead that I didn't even know it. Um, so just make it simple.
0: I love that. I'm mindful of the time, so we have run over by. Four and a half minutes. Okay. Is anybody, sorry? Shocking it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> I told you I'd fail. You should be rewarding me for that because wow. I'm really attempting to... I'm going to give you a gift, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice one. Well, listen, I think on that basis we'll end it there, but... Heather, Richard, and myself will be hanging around for the next few minutes. So if you've got any burning questions you want to ask us, come and grab us. Before we go, do you mind if I just pray a blessing on you all, and then we, uh, we'll we we'll move on. Lord, I want to thank you for this short time together, Lord. I just want to pray for these wonderful people, Lord, that are committed to building your kingdom and to raising up leaders around them. I thank you for the leaders that they are, Lord. And I pray you just in this process of thinking about this subject that you would bring your healing, Holy Spirit, would you come, open their eyes to all that you have for them, re-envision them, Lord, encourage them in the giftings you've given them, give them the energy that they need, Lord God, where they are weak, would you make them strong, would they run and not grow weary, Lord, I pray, and I pray you would place the right people alongside them, I pray they'll go back to their places with new eyes to see the gold that is around them, Give them the spirit of discernment that they need to discern what's happening and give them the wisdom, Lord, that they need to make changes where you've called them to. put Your blessing upon each one in the room, Lord. And we thank you for this time in your precious name. And everyone said amen. amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your afternoon. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. oh, yeah, Sorry. Guys, I forgot this. If you want to take a snapshot of this, feel free. These are my top books on the subject. If you're interested, there's some good ones here. Um, Canoe in the Mountains is one of my favorite books. Um, Mining for Gold by Tom Camicho, who's actually part of Vineyard in the US um, on coaching. So there's some other good books there. Bless you guys.